0: Bye. back, everybody, to another episode of the Quantum Shit Show. We are your hosts, Jody, Bo, and Danny. What's up? Hey. And we are bringing uh, an expansion to our series, the Near Cult Experience, bringing back onto the show a friend and an honored guest, Michael. She is at Mama Tembo on Instagram. You can connect with her. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, guys. Welcome back! Yeah, welcome I'm back. so glad to be here. <clears throat> I love so, talking with you guys.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're it's really mutual. excited about this conversation. We've been chatting a little bit for all of the people listening right now, um, catching back up on our last episode, and uh, we have a few topics here that we're going to dive into. So without further ado, I think we are talking about, uh, of course, the Mormon Church here in this episode, yeah, and how it Connects to so many other Mm -hmm. religious institutions, but also thought and belief systems,
2: Mm -hmm. yeah,
3: and cultures.
0: (laughs)
1: Yes, yeah. So to start, I'll just kind of give you the in the Mormon Church, it's called primary. It's where kids, uh, like two to twelve, go to class and learn or are indoctrinated, depending on your perspective. Um, so it'll be kind of rudimentary and it'll be based specifically on what I remember as a 33 year old woman at this point, having Mm. left the church for about four or five years now. And I'm going to be really honest. I have read the book of Mormon a lot in my life, but I never read it cover to cover, but I'm quite certain I read the entirety of the book over the course (laughs) of my time in Mormonism. So I just want to be very clear that a lot of this is my opinion, my perspective, what I retained out of that experience. And I'm hoping to present it in a way that isn't given through a prism of like trauma. I feel like very calm and neutral about my experiences. So I'm hoping that they come through the prism of healing
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and how it. Impacted my life um, as I left Mormonism, entered quantum, and then have left quantum, but still followed some of those learning lessons to make myself a better human. So Mm -hmm. um, to start with, I think we talked about kind of the basics of Joseph Smith. Uh, He. I'm trying to think of. (laughs) how I want to articulate it. But he um, had a the first vision is what Mormon teaches Mormonism teaches you about first. So the first vision was Joseph Smith went to town one day. He was 13 or 14. All the preachers were preaching. It was kind of this new spiritual movement on the East Coast. And he was really conflicted about everything that he was hearing. So he went home and he read in the Bible a passage in James about if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, Mm -hmm. and God will answer you kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. So he went out into the woods in upstate New York and fell on his knees and prayed and was overcome by a dark energy entity spirit and was terrified. And it was Satan trying, or Lucifer, trying to prevent him from moving forward on this path that would unveil the Mormon church coming to fruition, which is Christ's one true church. So that's Mm -hmm. how it starts. And eventually Christ and God appear. They come out of the sky and they appear to him. And there are multiple accounts of this first vision, but that wasn't unveiled until a few years ago. But I'm just going to give you the main one that most people are taught or have been taught that are my age. Um, God said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And Christ told him to join none of the churches that – When the time was right, an angel would come to Joseph Smith and would unveil to him a record of the people of the Americas that was another testament of Jesus Christ and that he would create the church on the earth as it was when Christ was alive, the the church that Christ organized and ran. Okay, do we have questions?
0: Yeah.
4: Okay. <laughs> yes, do we? <laughs> yes. so I know that I, was a lot.
0: I have two questions. So what are what is the story referring to when it says people of the Americas? And then also, are we referring whenever in this story saying Christ, are we talking about Jesus Christ, the yes. man, the character, mm-hmm. biblical reference? Okay. Hung
1: on the cross. Okay. Gotcha. Flip tables mm-hmm. in the temple, That that mm-hmm. guy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Who I have more resonance now with as geshua and that he was a much more nuanced individual than he's presented to be through mm-hmm. religion but, but that's a side note mm-hmm. so the people of the americas uh, as it was disclosed to joseph smith later when he translated the book of mormon which an angel took him to the hill Cumora, opened a box and there was this big book of golden plates We're not going to think about how much gold weighs or the logistics of this feat. (laughs) But at some point I was taught that he was worthy enough to receive the plates. And he inside the box was a Urim and Thummim, which was a breastplate with these like spectacles. Mm -hmm. And he sat behind a sheet with the book and he translated the record of these people who had come from Jerusalem across the ocean and had populated the Americas, and there were two factions, because, I mean, I, I'll just t- I'll tell you the story of Nephi in a minute. But there were two factions. The righteous ones were fair skinned. The not righteous ones were dark skinned. Whoa! They were cursed. Oh, wow. They were cursed in the Book of Mormon in the original telling translation. They were cursed, and that is why they had dark skin, and they were not to intermingle. <laughs> wow. So
3: he okay. translated does, this book. Does red skin, is that in between or is that, is that considered <laughs> a, dark skin?
1: <laughs> that's a good question.
3: Um, I think it's just lumped in. If yeah. So
1: the <laughs> there's this other really ugly side of Mormonism that they don't talk about, which is like what the church itself, how it impacted actual Native Americans in America mm. after its creation. Some wow. things that they did with like children and giving them to families and like this whole adoption thing that wasn't necessarily (sighs) consensual adoption. So there's a very seedy underbelly when it comes to Mormonism and how it, how it interacted with the native Americans. And I think they did it because they thought they had some sort of religious right because Mm -hmm. they knew who those people were. Mm -hmm and if you look at any like genetic study or anything like that like nothing in the book of mormon makes sense none of it has been proven you know and a lot of it i think is just kind of cover for for foul play but that's a personal i think kind of interpretation so um so when joseph smith finished writing this book that was They printed it. There was a lot of kind of hinky things that happened with all of it. It later came out that, like, he didn't read it the way he said he did. He was putting a rock in a hat and then looking in the hat and then telling the story. And they were writing it down. It has a lot of very – it looks like it's been plagiarized from a couple different stories. The more research is done – like i can't remember the names of them but uh there's a book by fawn brody called no man knows my history that kind of details joseph smith they present him as this ignorant farm boy but his family had some academic ties like so Mm -hmm. there's deception right like we know that Mm -hmm. all religions have some kind of frequency of deception because they want Mm -hmm. to maintain a certain level of power so Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. as far as the actual story of the book of mormon It is very long and very drawn out. But the roots of it (laughs) primarily are that a family before the destruction of Jerusalem, the father, Lehi, had a vision that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And he was told to take his family away. Get out of Jerusalem, travel. Like, the Lord will tell you where he wants you to go. And there's some anecdotal stories about, like, this, he woke up one night after they left and there was a magical like compass that was outside the tent door and if they were righteous god would use the compass to tell them where they were supposed to go the if they were not compass. righteous it wouldn't work <gasps>
4: this is wow. the magic compass yeah the golden compass,
1: the,
4: which, the yeah, compass. yeah that
1: one yeah, yeah. yeah the golden compass so <laughs> yes. yeah so that was like a thing that happened <clears throat> they convinced like another family that so this family had all sons, and somehow they yep. convinced another family of all daughters to go with them. And these two families are like what started the Native American tribes in America, right? What? Yes. Yeah, or at least, at least that was what I was taught as a child, and what I understood and gleaned.
3: I don't. Never think mind. Never mind our creation stories. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yep.
4: Wow.
1: It just so happened that two of the brothers were good and two of the brothers were not so nice. They're naughty. And when they got to the Americas and all those things kind of transpired, the two two naughty brothers and their wives who were copping attitude and...
0: Naughty as well.
1: They got cursed with dark skin and their entire line. And so then the whole Book of Mormon is just this whole long story of how these two, this family split in half and how they they wore and they wore and they wore and they wore and they wore.
3: This is why we have attitudes. (laughs) This is why
1: we're saucy. And at one point, like Christ in the Mormon story and in the Book of Mormon, when Christ is crucified, he comes to America and he visits these people.
0: Okay. Because they've had
1: prophets that have been telling them like, oh, across the sea from where we come from, like there's a savior will be born and he will... And, you know, there will be three days of dark and earthquakes, and that happened in the Americas, and that's how they knew he died, and it scared everybody, but then he came from the sky, and he taught them, and he walked with them, and he... Wow. And then uh, it wasn't enough, and they still kept fighting, and the Book of Mormon kind of hinges on this thing called the pride cycle, where, like, you are poor, and you suffer, and you cling to God and God blesses you. And then the more blessed you become, the more you forget God. And then as you kind of peak with success and you forget God and you cut God out of your life, then the great kind of cataclysm comes and it brings you to your knees and you have to come back to suffering and
3: seeking God. So, Hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. So
3: this is really interesting, though, because um, in – you know, we're Native Americans are not a monolithic culture. There are over five hundred tribes in North America alone, and um, but in Muskogee culture, we have a story about the first medicine man and where the first medicine man came hmm. from, and it was. they were called the illuminated ones these illuminated beings that came down on a ray of light from the stars they were star people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um they came we were warring amongst ourselves and they came down and taught us the ways of peace and brought the medicine with them and so then one particular one yohala became the first medicine man and he stayed and lived among the people but he was an illuminated one and when i first read that i was thinking of like you know an alien race very similar to the Anunnaki and stuff like that. But you were talking about these two factions like warring with one another. And in Muskogee, we have the red sticks and the white sticks. And the Red Sticks and the White mm. Sticks were two different factions of Creek people, Muskogee people. And um one sided with the white people they were they were for peace they really wanted peace and the red sticks were the fighters they were the ones who wanted blood they wanted to retain their lands they weren't going to be told what to do they weren't going to be made to walk the trail of tears or whatever and so they um they ended up warring against one another also in the creek war and then um so it's just really interesting because As you were talking about that and how Christ came to visit the people and they were warring and all this kind of stuff, it was making me think of something very similar. But this is like this. I mean, these stories, though, like predate Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it's interesting to me because when I hear stories like that, like, obviously in some way through all of humanity, like these stories have some kind of deeply entrenched like reality to them. Right. Like you can't have so many cultures with this common thread. If that thread isn't rooted in something Mm -hmm. actual. Mm -hmm. And then I also think like, Oh my gosh. Like if, if they believed that Christ could come or that, that these illuminated ones could come, And visit them these are the stories that we're receiving like well there's probably good ones and there's probably not so nice ones and so Mm -hmm. like who really came and visited Joseph Smith who really came and after Yeshua's death or or his transition like who really came to see and talk to Paul and the people who created the structure of the Catholic Church you know like if there's one Mm -hmm. thing I've learned whether it was from Mormonism or quantum, there are forces in this reality realm of existence that can mimic and that can be deceitful. And so something that always comes to my mind is like, just because it presents itself as someone or something here to help you, like it did with Joseph Smith, like, was it really or or did it have ulterior motives? Did it have that kind of well, we can capture fifteen million people at some point to harvest from, right, whether financially or energetically, <clears throat> and like right. when did those seeds take root, and like did Joseph Smith just not have the maybe the vision to see through an illusion and was Or, or was he more participatory? Like, it's just kind of interesting to think because like where there's overlay and there's resonance for me, it's like that, that, yes, there's some, there's some being creator Christ, illuminated one who loves us, who doesn't want us to suffer, who wants us to blossom and fulfill our potential in this place, in this time. And like, that's the resonance through the thread through all the stories that I find resonance with. But then there's just like these little tweaks in each story. That's like, Oh, but that one doesn't feel like mm-hmm. that one doesn't have the same frequency. It doesn't have the same resonance in my heart space. So like that must not be without
4: distortion in some way. Yeah. So it's interesting that you're saying it that way. Cause it's bringing up for me conversations that we've had over the last year and a half where there were people in spiritual spaces who would tell tale of their visitations by God, holy mother, holy father, whatever. And it would be like, and this is what they said to me. And they would say things to me and I'd be like, what the heck is that? You know, it's like one of those things and they are so convinced that it's the truth. But when Mm -hmm. you hear it, I mean, for me at least, there were things that I heard that I was like, actually think that's a real thing, you know? Um, and so like what you're saying, it's like people receiving messages, Joseph Smith receiving messages from what is quote unquote God. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think what I've observed through church and religion and quantum communities alike is when people put themselves in this position of I'm the receiver of all the information, they somehow end up being God's favorite child. You know, mm-hmm. in the story, they are the main character, always, literally. You are the chosen one <laughs> Yeah, right. they have main character <laughs> syndrome. And <clears throat> they end up being the one that God is speaking this to. So they hold a very important role in this. And it's like, what's interesting to me as I'm listening to you tell the story, I'm thinking, well, I wonder in all of the years and that religious, you know, indoctrination being... Fed over and over Mm -hmm. and over to generation after generation, you know, did they take the time to be like, and you too can be like Joseph Smith and receive the truth from God yourself? Right. This is how it always happens. And that's the one thing
1: I think I've probably unequivocally, and like I've no, I'm so deeply rooted in this understanding. I think because of my experiences that like no one's going to receive a message for me from God, but me, and I'm not going to receive anything for anyone else. I can hold space and support and love, but I am never, God is not going to whisper in my ear what I need to deliver to Bo or Jody or Danica, because that's Mm -hmm. uniquely their conversation with God and for him to unveil to them at the appropriate time. Yes. Right. And so anytime I'm looking Mm -hmm. at like a spiritual leader, Joseph Smith, the Pope, anybody who's trying to assert some sort of position of authority over me or over others or over an institution or a group or whatever it is, like it's, there's just this frequency I can't not detect anymore that is distorted. Mm -hmm. It's not, that's not true in my soul No one is going to receive the truth for me. Correct. Like uncovering truth is a purely internal inward connection with God for him to unveil him, her Mm -hmm. mother, father, creator. You know, they, it discloses within you to you. Mm -hmm. Just like prayer is like anytime I feel ungrounded, like just the other day. Some of the stuff that's happening in the world is super activating,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially with fear. And it's like every time the matrix wants to agitate me and try to elicit some kind of response, I'm immediately just, it's like this quiet, calm, like go to your heart, like talk to me, <laughs> I'm here, I'm within you, yes. I will give you what you need if you if you just come seek seek it, mm-hmm. right? And so... I, I have to take some deep breaths. I have to say some prayers and just like, okay, God, I'm trying to trust. I'm trying to have faith, like, guide me in what I need to do. And it's always be present. It's always be with your children. It's always do this thing in your home with the ones you love. Like, don't let the noise consume you because I am stillness and I am love and I am within you. And anytime we make the choice to be responsible and shift that perspective inward, I think we are capable of identifying that like, Oh, like, no, the government doesn't have power over me. Like this religious leader doesn't have power over me. They're trying to trick me into believing that they do. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and if I buy into those tricks, I give that power, I give that authority, a siphon attaches to me, like whatever the vernacular that people resonate with, like it's, I, it really kind of for me comes back to anytime I'm not being radically responsible for myself, my growth, my connection to creator, that's when the matrix, that's when my power starts to be given to something outside of God.
2: Mm-hmm. It
0: gets a little sticky
1: it does it doesn't it's so hard because there's so many traps and there's so many snares and it's hard to like watch people we love fall into them but to still give them the autonomy to use the the free will the creator endowed us all with on this journey and Mm -hmm. to watch what happens and to just remain calm and grounded in your own space doing what is uplifting and what connects you to God because that's the only place you're safe. Right. Right. And that was something my mom learned from my grandfather. Right. He always, he was deeply religious within Mormonism, but he always taught my mom, like, you don't take anything that like the prophet says at face value. You pray about everything you you receive Mm -hmm. your own witness. Right. And he Mm -hmm. always said, you focus on where you are and what you have, which is your family and your home. And inside that bubble, that's where God is. Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah. that's
1: where you're safe.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't worry about what's happening. That's what being in the world, but not of the world means.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so those wow. like little lessons, those little <clears throat> gems throughout my life, I think are what helped me orient myself on my path as I progressed out of Mormonism and through quantum to where at wherever I am now.
4: Because mm-hmm. it's still changing all the time. Good stuff. So- uh- I was curious about because you're talking specifically about the story that's in the Book of Mormon. So, yeah. where is the Bible in all of this stuff? So, the Bible's fun because <laughs> Joseph
1: Smith like co-opted a lot of shit out of the Bible and like put it in the Book of Mormon. Also, <laughs> his ego, whatever he was communicating with and and like gleaning from, it bolstered his ego because he thought he could like edit the bible because they did it wrong <laughs> so
2: wow. there's like this whole
1: portion of the quad is what it's called there's all these books and there's this whole portion of the quad that's dedicated to joseph smith translations which are portions of the bible that he went back and edited to be correct <laughs> or to put <laughs> his narrative for the book of mormon so the goal, the, the, the coccacity. Coccacity.
2: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah Wow. So not only did he have the Book of Mormon, not only did he make edits and upgrades to the Bible, he also, um, the Doctrine and Covenants was a whole section. It's a whole book about the pioneers and, and prophecies and revelations he received from the start of the church from God. That's like where the prophecy and revelation about um, polygamy, polygamy came from. And like God yelled at his wife. In one of these revelations, like basically told her, like, you will not come to heaven if you do not accept polygamy. (gasps) Get out (laughs) of town. What? Swear to God. And then, wait, the best part. um, He bought some Egyptian scrolls off of like this peddler or something. And he translated like the whole book of Abraham. That was like they were just like burial papers but like he made up this whole story about it's called the pearl of great price and it's like the book of abraham and moses i think like he when he went for it he went all in yeah he did Yep. damn and just co-opted so many things from culture from other uh, uh other writers authors um i think in a lot of ways even um mormons now kind of acknowledge that like maybe it was just a spiritual work of fiction that helps us make our life better kind of is what it's morphed into but for my whole life it was like this is the history this is real and we were told like there's caves full of like records just like the little book that they gave him to translate like god like the people of the america's had caves, caverns, full of records, full of stories, full of experiences. Mm. And we're just not righteous enough to have them unveiled to us yet.
3: Why oh. did so many of us not have any written language or anything until?
1: <laughs> it's right. a great question. Yeah. Danica, <laughs> yes. I don't think that Joseph Smith was a nice man. At the end of the day, and I think he did a lot I'm, of lying.
3: I'm gathering that, <laughs>
1: and I think his lying continues to perpetrate trauma onto millions of people, and not just in Mormonism. I mean, there are yeah. ripples through the indigenous culture. There's ripples through, like anybody, if you live at anywhere in the nor- north. West, you probably have some kind of inherited trauma from the Mormon church you know there Mm -hmm. were terrible things that happened terrible things they murdered there was the mountain meadow massacre I mean things that like they don't talk about you don't learn about until you leave the church that were just horrific Mm -hmm. things done in the name of Christ in the name of the church that Mm -hmm. and it's just it's how 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 can you make any kind of peace or resolution with, like, being lied to, right, by people you were indoctrinated your whole life to believe you should trust, and then learning that, like, they aren't worthy of that trust, and that, like, you maybe shouldn't have been giving them that trust to begin with is, like, a big – I understand why people go to to quantum. I mean, quantum was what helped me process my Mormonism uh-huh. right if I didn't find Quantum, I probably would be looping through Mormonism like like my dad still does.
0: Yeah.
3: Could you ex- can you expand on that a little bit more and what yeah. ways it helped you process it?
1: So, I think one of my very first Quantum sessions and it wasn't even called Quantum at the time, right? It was just a psychic healing session. Oh yeah. was <clears throat> Um I was leaving Mormonism at the time. Like my heart was leaving it. I wasn't like actively ready to leave it yet. And so I was looking at all these different avenues trying to process like, well, I have resonance with some things and I have like I'm very repulsed by other things and how do I find balance? And I couldn't talk to people in my family about it because it would hurt them right like there was even leaders of the church who came out and basically said like if your family member leaves the church like there will be empty seats at the dinner table in heaven right so like you're just trapped and i found this psychic healing session and i sat down on the call and i was a very careful i was prayerful i like cleaned my space with like sage like i really was trying like if if God is real, if God wants to talk to me, like, uh, this is, this is ha- the moment. Like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. ready. I need understanding. And the practitioner, I don't even, I, I didn't even tell her what was going on. I didn't explain the, the very nuanced dynamics of my situation. And somehow she pinpointed so many things and it was like, oh, my god this is real like there are things in mormonism that are like attached to me that are weighing my soul down that are like Mm -hmm. consuming me and she and she was kind of like you know i'm kind of feeling into this and i'm seeing some of this and like do you have resonance with this and you know like you don't need to carry that anymore so like we're gonna clear that and I think at the time I didn't understand, but I, at the time I was given kind of permission for that entire dynamic to happen. And Mm -hmm. so there was like this relief of like things being removed from my psyche, from my spirit, from my soul, from my like light body. Mm -hmm. And it was... (laughs) like a high like it was a high and I was like oh my gosh I need another session like I need another session like next week and she was like (laughs) whoa no you need time to process and like it lit a fire in me somehow and like as I was processing all of those traumas like things were coming up like being afraid as a kid like that I wouldn't be worthy enough to be with my family eternally like all of a sudden, like, that is such a silly thing for an eight-year-old child to carry. But yeah, somehow they dip you in water. And from that moment on, the minute you're bad, you can lose your family.
4: That's crazy. Like,
1: <clears throat> letting go of that was so relieving.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, when I had my next session, it was like the more sessions we did, the more was coming up and more and more and more. And it was like this never-ending fountain of trauma. And I was, and then I would be angry and I would have to listen to a podcast about an ex-Mormon and, and their experience and I would be validated, right? But there was never a resolution
2: uh-huh.
1: until I had a session. Uh-huh. And, and it was like, I was waiting on the edge of my seat for a session because the session is the only thing that's going to help this, like, remove this from me. Uh-huh. And then it was like, oh, oh wow. well, you can learn to do it yourself. And I was like, that was why I started. That was why I started. It was like, <laughs> I want to learn to do this for myself, to myself.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And it was like, I started the class and it was resonance with all these souls who were on a similar path and we were holding space and it was loving and it was fulfilling. And then all of a sudden just this like, oh, maybe you should like do this for other people. Like you should be practicing to see, make sure you're seeing the right things. And then just these kind of little shifts that suddenly I wasn't doing it for me anymore
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and then I started doing like these sessions for other people and then and then when I started working with Mormon people I would get reactivated right and so I'm sitting in the session I'm trying to be neutral I'm trying to like keep my trauma out of their trauma (laughs) so that they can have their process but when the session's over I'm exhausted I'm so tired and i'm angry and i have to listen to the podcast again i have to make sure that i'm not the only one having this experience and that i'm a worthy vessel to like do it for this person when they need it again in a couple weeks and it just turned into this suffocating
2: Mm.
1: wave that was just as suffocating as mormonism but that loop just kept going. And and I think it's no matter what religion you're in, there's just this kind of loop of, we get caught between, and it's almost like the pride cycle in the book of Mormon, right? Like I think in some way, Joseph Smith obviously was getting certain things because if there's no truth, there's no resonance and you can't pull people in. Mm -hmm. So there's just this like loop where you like relive your trauma and it's like, well, do you process it? and really heal from it and it becomes neutral and you don't and and it levels out there's no looping anymore or are you in a an environment where you're constantly being looped through other people's trauma through constantly unveiling new trauma through like oh i like that was healed but then i decided to re-traumatize myself because i wanted to have like commonality with another human being instead of like just being able to be like, I'm so sorry you went through that. I love you. I'm here to support you. Like, Oh my gosh, I went through that too. Like that dynamic is so hard to navigate and we haven't been taught culturally or religiously how to stop a loop because mm-hmm. the system can't thrive, whether it's a consumerist cycle or a spiritually kind of consuming cycle, unless it's perpetually rotating, right? Mm-hmm. And so my dad is kind of in that scenario, right? I don't listen to Mormon podcasts anymore. I don't watch Mormon uh, General Conference. I don't listen to what the leaders are teaching anymore because why? <laughs> I don't need to. Right. It's just gonna. It's just trying to pull me back into the loop. I'm done. I don't like that roller coaster. Yeah. So I don't even know if that answered your question.
3: I'm so sorry. I don't remember what my question was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think that I had, yes, it did. Yeah. Okay. Because I remember my question was just to elaborate on how quantum work helps you to process Mm -hmm. um, your exit from Mormonism. So the core, the core things.
1: things, Yeah. The core things that I, just like with Mormonism, the things that I had deep resonance with, that I maintain, like I still maintain, right. I still occasionally like clean my light body. I occasionally like cut all ties, call all my energy back. I reassert like my power over my reality and my experience and my connection with God, but I don't do it. You know, it's almost, it used to be like I had to sit and I had to light sage and I had to light a candle and I had to listen to calming like, now it's kind of just like a. am in the kitchen doing dishes, and I'm like, okay, God, help me, like, be grounded. Help me be present for my kids. Help me find the beauty in this simple daily ritual of, like, yeah. cleaning my dishes and feeding my family, right? So it's it's nuanced in it, just like we're, like, this living being, like, healing is kind of this like living field around us that like right. can augment to fit us as we need when we need it. If we're willing to accept that responsibility, like, cause it, you know, if you're not, that's the thing with like, I use my dad as an example because he's just the most present one in my life. You know, a lot of my dad's suffering, I think, comes from him just not wanting to be responsible. He wants to lay so much blame on, like, the church lied to me. The church lied to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm miserable because of the church. Like, but yes, but you you cannot be. You can say, Mm -hmm. like, I'm done. I don't, I do not consent to this anymore. I only consent to joy. I only consent to being healed and to thriving in my life but
2: it's, -hmm.
1: it's easier sometimes, especially when they're, you know, they're older, my dad's almost 60. It's kind of easier just to live in the dynamic you've known your whole life, Mm -hmm. at minimum for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Because growth is not always pleasant.
0: Yeah, it's usually last resort. Yeah, usually takes the threat of death. I mean, not even the worst suffering can push most people to change.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, And even the change that they ask for is a way out and not just a way through. Mm -hmm. It's salvation from consequence, right? And not actually like you're talking about to take responsibility for (laughs) not what you did initially, but maybe that, but more than anything, how you're contributing to what's real for you, most real for you right here, right now
2: mm-hmm
1: yeah and like in the beginning it was like I was scared I was being a terrible mother right that was my motivating force like how do I not be depressed and lay in bed mm. all day and let my kid like play on the floor around me and give him snacks off my nightstand and then eventually it morphed into like I love my children I want to be the best mom I can but that means I have to be the best me and that has nothing to do with my kids that has to do right. with me being responsible for myself and it Rippling out, right?
4: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's
4: it's just so like, powerful. That's a hard, people, a hard transition. It is because I think so many people lose themselves in the roles that they play, and they forget that they're still a person. Like just like you said, people lose themselves in being a mother or a wife or a whatever it is, a quantum healer, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then everything is connected to that role and the identity that they think they're supposed to fulfill you know, because they've taken something on. And so it's really powerful what you're saying. I'm thinking about talking about your dad, you know, kind of struggling to break free from mm-hmm. the the trauma that yeah. he endured. And, and even the anger that he's harboring because of the hurt. And um, <clears throat> I remember once talking to Shannon, who we've had on the show before, and she was talking about what happens to the body, literally on the inside that it becomes so calcified over time that it's why they use the term like, you know, um, people are set in their ways that they literally become cemented in their ways on a uh, a biological level because of the trauma and the pain and the longer it is ruminated on, you know, it just solidifies it and Mm -hmm. keeps it in place literally in our tissues, in our body. And so it is challenging for people who are our parents grandparents or whatever, to actually make big changes or release themselves from the pain of what they endured that has hurt them, caused grief, you know, and anger. I'm thinking you were talking earlier about the church and this conversation about the older generation. I'm like, yeah. And look at this guy, Joseph Smith, man. I mean, uh, on a level, you got to tip your hat to the dude, because he did something that has been going for generations, yeah. he's caused people to buy into this. So there was something, something in there that was just so alluring to people. I think, and from my experience, I think
1: the hook that caught so many people was this promise of an eternal family. That's that was big. so enticing. And And it was enticing because in some way it's true. We're not designed to experience one another in one realm and one realm only. Right? So coming from a history of like, when you're dead, it's done. Either you go to God or you go to hell. And it doesn't matter who, like, who you are or who you love or how many, you know, for this kind of idea of, well, all you have to do is a part of this church and do the special hand signals and wear the special clothes and pay your tithing and you'll be with your family forever that is so enticing to people there's a checklist i just have to do this 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 and i'm guaranteed god's presence i'm in because that's how they sell it they market it that way he did (laughs) from the jump
4: yeah brilliant yes and terrifying it is and yet This is the thing. This hook is the hook that allows people to have near cult experiences or Mm -hmm. be fully fledged in them because everyone's looking to belong. Mm
2: -hmm. Where
4: do I belong? Where is my community? Where is my family? Right. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're talking about multi-level marketing or, you know, it doesn't matter. It's like they sell you on the idea that life can be improved, but you're going to have a whole new group of like-minded people.
0: Like-minded,
3: mm-hmm. people. it's the uh, innate quality of human tribalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that gets used against us. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, I so think it feeds ways. the worst parts. It feeds the yeah. worst part of that dynamic, right? It yeah. doesn't. It doesn't feed the find the beauty in everyone's differences and see the value in everyone's unique contribution. It is merely a you scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. Mm-hmm. But if you don't
4: scratch mine, how I like I'm done playing. Right. Well, and then you think about what was the buzzword? What has been the buzzword in spiritual communities? There are many, but this one in particular is what gets people every time. Soul fam. Yep. yep. Soul family. This is where your soul family is. Your, your earthly family, your family of origin probably traumatized the shit out of you. But yeah. if you come over here, these people are all enlightened and they these won't, are the people they won't that- hurt you. They won't hurt you. They will understand you, and this is actually your real family that that is like connected to you at a soul level. And it's like,
0: yeah, and it's like your highest timeline is not over there. It's in this group.
4: (laughs) Yeah,
0: your highest possible and your your best possible life is here
3: in this monad. This
0: monad in this group.
1: That was one of the things that my husband eventually brought up. Was I was so fatigued doing these sessions that my husband was like. Like, I love you, but, like, we're here. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Me, like, me and our son are here. At the time, you know, I wasn't pregnant with my second child, but it was like, you don't have anything for us anymore. It's like, well, what's the point of being here and being married and being a mother if I don't have anything to offer them? Right. Mm -hmm. And, like, I don't need to offer them, like, myself or my service, but, like, like my my willingness to participate in this dynamic that mm-hmm. i chose to be a part of right i'm Your responsible presence. to be invested in this marriage i'm i chose to make a baby with this man i'm responsible <laughs> to cultivate him with my partner
2: mm-hmm. and
1: like why am i giving that energy to other people like who <laughs> have the unique opportunity to experience their healing their way, like instead of me sitting there going, "I'm going to use these singing bowls and this chime and and I'm going to do these things and it's going to heal you," like that is like so silly to me now. <laughs> you know, like mm, yes, there, there's and obviously, attention. yeah, there's healing that and comes from like sound thing. and stuff, but like. But the what really heals you is your investment in your connection with God, and allowing mm-hmm. Creator to heal you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And I can't. I you know that was so hard to unveil for myself. I can't imagine trying to do it for someone else. Like that is <laughs> a lot.
0: Well, you do it by saying what you just said.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, no. I
1: hope I help no. people find the path. Yeah. That's that's what I want to do. Cause yeah. it's a hard, it's a hard walk, but at the end of it, or even I'm not at the end, but where I am now, it's like yeah, the road was rocky, and I stubbed my toe, and I cut open my knee a few times, but like the meadow of blessings I get to look at every day are worth it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't think I would see it through that prism if I hadn't bumped my toe and cut my knee on a rock, you know. Mm -hmm. Like the hike is the hard part, but the view is worth it. Yeah.
2: -hmm.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to get emotional. (laughs)
4: Emotions are allowed. (laughs) They are.
1: They're cathartic, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, let it out.
0: Let it move. Gotta let it go. Let it move.
1: I think I love conversations with you guys because it helps me like remember and verbalize like. Mm-hmm. What I've learned and why it's like valuable, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like life that. is not easy. I think everyone can agree. From like 2020 on, like every year has progressively been like a what the fuck. Right.
3: Exactly. I mean, even before 2020, some of my years were what the fuck, <laughs>
4: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. 2020 just put a big bright light on it all. And it was like, yeah. Okay. You want to keep doing this? Because look how it's getting, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Mm.
1: So, yeah, I think we got a little off the book of Mormon
0: train, but I was going to say that I love how the conversation usually ends up in solution with relationship with God as the center and the focal point. Mm -hmm. There were a few things throughout that, that dialogue for the last half hour or so that um, brought up some things for me. One of them is a short thing that you said, babe, which was talking about as people get older and basically like the oldest generations on the planet and then the generations two, three decades younger how those people start to slow down in their processes. And we hear about metabolism and everything, everything starts Mm -hmm. to slow down. And I find it really interesting as you were saying it, talking about calcification Mm -hmm. and how the body gets really calcified. And then thinking about collectively what's been introduced in those lifetimes, you know, the past 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, even, even Mm -hmm. longer than that. Between diet culture, the air quality, water quality, um, and how it really has that effect on mm-hmm. the body,
2: mm-hmm.
0: that calcifying effect on the body, mm-hmm. calcifying all the glands and the nervous system to where you can't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. You're shut down in a really major way. And then it had me thinking about now you have the younger generations ten or younger, 10 to 20 years old, even 20 to 30, but younger than 30 or even younger than 20. It's most prominent I feel like every everyone is so overstimulated mm-hmm. in their bodies and there's like a different kind of body climate mm. collectively that's been created. Mm. And how they're like polar opposites. You know, you have yeah. way older generations that are slow and they're they're dull in their senses, and they're numb a lot of times. And then you have these younger generations that are just so hopped up on like their nervous system activation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they probably have like calcification or dysregulation and like their hormones especially. Mm -hmm. But their nervous system is like a totally different kind of
1: wiring. I see that that with my dad. Like everything you've described is like, oh, my gosh. That is 100% Mm. like what I'm witnessing with my father's physical being. Mm. Wow, with what he chooses to consume like physically for food or like mentally with and how how frail he is getting and watching his body kind of just atrophy,
4: yeah,
0: oh yeah,
4: my goodness,
1: versus like my yeah. mother, who is much more like open to learning and growing and exploring her relationship with God, and she's mm. vivacious and young and active and it's like very stark it's like incredibly stark and as you were just like describing all that it was like wow
0: dang yeah that's something that definitely popped up as i was thinking i was like whoa that's a pretty pretty major observation i guess for me but then yeah that's all i was saying at the beginning too was i love how the conversation always circles back to around around two yeah And everything that you've said, Michael, is just so valuable, especially the points that you come to. They're just like things that you've come to for yourself and the revelation that you're still receiving from the trials that you've experienced and the time that you thought you were coming to a remedy for those things and maybe were and, and then even going through more trials and kind of getting spat out on the other side of the waterfall in that (laughs) <laughs> you know you're soaking wet but at the same time it's like there's this level of peace that it's like oh my gosh and you're talking about relationship within mm-hmm. and pointing people back to themselves and i feel like it, it, it is in alignment with things that we've shared here on the show but also personally i i can say what is in alignment for myself as well it's just like that is a the deepest truth that i have encountered so far And it's not some kind of knowledge or amount of knowledge or even a measurement of knowledge. It just is the simple fact that that is what is available. Relationship with God and uh, between God and ourselves is what creates the strongest foundation. It's what creates the most sustainable health. And it can be accessed nowhere but within.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's how, that's what has resonance for me as well. Mm-hmm. And I think about like before kind of modern medicine and, and like organized religion, like how, you know, when people got old, like it was a gift, they were revered, they were loved, Right. they, you know, and they,
2: mm.
1: my husband tells a story of his great grandmother, like literally dying, chopping wood. She was that active. Right. <laughs> And, like, somehow something has shifted into, like, we're putting people in homes and they're medicated and they need hospice services because life, the physical body is so painful to remain in that they have to have these kind of remedies. And, like, how much of that is just because we're disconnected from creator within? Mm -hmm. Because, you know reestablishing that kind of personal responsibility and understanding and awareness and connection is what has led me to like changes in diet, like Mm -hmm. certain being called to certain supplements, just like, um, Shannon, I think I loved her podcast because so much of it was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I'm living that. Yeah. Right. And it's fundamentally shifted. And like, that's one of the things with my mom, I've, I've been able to kind of, Hey mom, you should try this. You should try that. And she, like i feel better than when i was a young mother with you guys like i don't ache like i used to and it's like wow that's just because of this experience that's just because of this internal understanding that like god will give me what i need if i seek it
2: Mm -hmm. right Right.
1: and and it's it's so like i want to celebrate it and tell everyone like you just you just have to Figure it out and it's worth it, right? And you're also watching people that like, oh, if only, if only. You
3: know. Yeah. It goes back to the whole conversation around um, allowing yourself to be divested of your own power and seeking a savior outside of yourself because mm-hmm. we put all of that power in Big Pharma or any of these other institutions that are meant to heal us. And mm-hmm. exactly what you've said, we've seen a de- like a decrease in the mortality rate, but yeah. an increase in morbidity. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's the quality crazy. of life as we age is just degenerating. Mm-hmm. Like
1: your retirement's supposed to be your golden years. That was what my mom was preparing for with the one she loved, who she spent her whole life with, and like now, like he can't,
2: mm-hmm.
1: he he can't remember the alphabet in order, right? Like, oh man, whoa, mm-hmm. something young. about <laughs> how we're living. And like, in a really all encompassing way, is so far divested from where we were 200 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not even saying 200 years ago, it was perfect, but it was obviously, somehow, physically better, people weren't as sick, there wasn't as much medicine needed.
3: Well, we lived in closer relationship with the earth and the seasons and the cycles and our circadian rhythms and all of yes. that. Yes.
4: And with and, each other. And with, with each other.
3: And I this is making me think about my, my stepdad. And my stepdad is almost 80 years old now. And um, he I think he's like 70, like mid to late 70s. I don't know exactly how old he is. But he, like... 20 or 30 years ago, he was diagnosed with like prostate cancer and he didn't do anything that they recommended that he did and it just went away. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, he has, he will tell you himself, I have no use for the medical system. Mm -hmm. He's very air quotes set in his ways (laughs) as far as that goes, but he's like, you know, my, my mom on the other hand, and I, I love her so much and granted she, you know, she has, health issues but she relies she lives in a lot of pain she relies on you know medications and things like that but my stepdad stays active he's constantly outside doing his own work like working outside in the yard he's mowing all of the grass himself. Um, you know, he has a workshop. He's constantly building things. Oh, and he says, that. it keeps me young. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It keeps me young. He's up with the sun and down with the sun. He's outside most of the day. Yeah. Whereas, you know, my mom, she does work outside. Um, but most of the time when I call her, she's watching the news. She's sitting inside and she's watching the news. Damn. And her <laughs> quality of life, um is completely different than his mm, wow yeah you know like the she's in, she's in pain a lot she makes poor poorer um like health choices and things like that god i hope she doesn't listen to this podcast episode <laughs> <laughs> my you parents know, better but, never listen to my episode <laughs> i mean i i love her so much and obviously <laughs> but it's like um these things, like it, it's, it's interesting to behold, especially in the older generations, mm-hmm. to see, um, you know how. Well, I guess in any generation, but how whenever we are more dependent on the systems that are built to like control us and divest us of our power, yep. and when we're not, mm-hmm. like, how much better the quality of our life is when yeah. we're not. Well, and I
1: think a lot of it too, like, from what you said, is like they want. So being, let's say you lived 200 years ago on that farm, right? You were present all the time. Like I have to make sure I have food to eat. My animals are alive. My house is preserved. Like you were living deeply present in the moment, in the reality. And you were connected with God. Like God, like help me accomplish what I need to accomplish.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Right brain but now. Your
3: crops, brain of your yeah. house. <laughs>
1: yeah. You were, and you were in the soil. You were, your hands were in it. You were breathing it. You were exposed to all of these creations of God that you were stewarding, right? Mm -hmm. And preserving and co-collaborating with. And so then if you like look now at kind of what they expect from us, which is have a mortgage, have a nine to five, have a car, outsource. Like you're not, you're not milking your own cow every day. You're not collecting chicken eggs. Like you're not being present in your moment because you're present where (laughs) they need you to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're feeding the system they want you to feed. You're not feeding your connection
3: with creator and your connection with the gift he gave us.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So this also goes back to the whole conversation that we had a long time ago. And I think it was in the first season around the um, micro to macro and how we have to pay attention to healthy individualism and then our own family unit first before we can actually contribute to the collective. But the way that the system has us working mm-hmm. is to operate as one big collective in that way without actually assessing and addressing our yeah. family units. Yep. Well, and and then there can be nour-
1: no nourishment. Like, Correct. Like, and not just like God's. Design is wholly nourishing in every mm-hmm. sense of like physically, okay. emotionally, spiritually, mentally. The matrix system has
3: no nourishment, it just depletes it takes. you. It just takes and takes. Well, and it's takes. nourishing because it's fractal and it's micro yeah. to macro and macro to micro in every direction yeah. that you move. There, it's fractal, and <sighs> Dude, the matrix it's is it's it's lifeless, it has no
4: soul. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is also, here's the twist of it is like, as you're saying that I'm like, oh, well, spiritual communities are moving left and right in this direction, right? Because it's all like, you know, is it service to self or service to others? And that gets muddy
2: Mm -hmm.
4: because is there a way that you can be so taken over with this need for you to personally prosper that you forget that you are connected? Yes, yes. And can you be so outwardly focused that you forget that you need to be taken care of? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's very under, like it's just so sneaky in there and we can bitch all day long about the matrix of the world and then pretend like in our spiritual circles that we've somehow risen above Mm -hmm. that system. Mm -hmm. When in fact it's the same thing being perpetuated in a lot of Mm -hmm. those spaces because I agree with what Danica says. like, there has to be an awareness, I believe, and a focus on this vessel yep. right here. What can what, I'm already contributing to the collective, regardless yep. right. of whether I'm doing something there or not. My yep. existence contributes to the collective. Yeah, and if it's not being kept and honored, then I'm already putting sour, disgusting nonsense mm-hmm. in the collective sauce. Uh, it, you know yeah. and it comes down to embodiment if they can keep you disembodied mm-hmm, then yeah. what you contribute
3: to the collective is disembodied yeah.
2: right. and
3: um when we're disembodied we don't have the ability to hold the nuance that we need yes. to find that middle ground that you were just talking about you know like where is that so. sweet spot between um you know n- n- nourishing ourselves and also nourishing the collective
4: well yes. um, you said something about this yesterday danica we were talking about mind control and it makes me think right now while you're saying that, it's making me think of the disembodiment, right? So it's like we, we each operate with the capacity to create our mm-hmm. reality, right? But if we get hijacked in some way because we buy into a system or we buy into a narrative, which is how like what we're talking about in this situation, cults talk about that right it's like it's just another matrix on its own yep and it hijacks us and it imparts what it wants for yes. its reality yes and it needs the consciousness and the active part of us to per- to literally propel it and hold it up yeah. So if it can push us out and be like, but this is the right way, give your energy to this. It's for the good of all, you know, it's it, they try to make it righteous and benevolent. Yeah. Um, the world is doing the same thing and they're doing it, you know, with corporations and, you know, yeah. all of that. And, um, it's distorted ways of building community, but it's for the purpose of amplifying what mm-hmm. we would call in spiritual circles, the hive mind.
2: This That's what Mormonism community- does.
4: Yeah, it moves together. And when it moves together, it's more powerful. Yes. And so. ah, So like, as
1: you were saying that, all I could think about was Mormonism and how they tell you that like the hook is family, right? An eternal family. And so you go to church Mm -hmm. for the eternal family and then they constantly bombard you with positions of leadership and activities you need to do and things, right, that take you away from the family. Mm -hmm. right, (laughs) And so. So they're like, and it's this crazy thing where it's like, I think there's this huge nuance portion of like being nourished when you're really nourished, you like allows God to move through you. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes God moving through you is just nourishing you. Sometimes God moving through you is nourishing your family. Sometimes God moving through you is nourishing a community. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you're in, when it's not God that's doing the nourishing, when it's, when it's coming from an outside system that's corrupted Mm -hmm. or distorted. That's where like the hive mind can come, the mind control, the manipulation, the separation from God. And like, that's so, and I I don't want to speak for all religions, but that just so perfectly pinpoints how Mormonism captures Mm -hmm. and feeds off of people Mm -hmm. because it's under the premise that, Oh, well you're serving others. Because you're serving God when instead it's like, but God doesn't expect you to serve. God expects you to be held and to be nourished so that he can work through you. Yes. Right.
3: Yes. You mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I will be so bold to say that I think that what you're saying pertains to every religion. <laughs> every every single religion. Every religion, every system, you know, every, e, every ideology, new age, you know, the so-called quantum community, any way that we use it to bypass our embodiment, our personal relationship with God.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: That's what it does.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You guys make it like, so like all the dots, you just connect so many freaking dots for me every time we talk.
3: (laughs) So I actually do have something that I've been sitting on for a little bit and it was, Remember whenever you messaged me after our last podcast episode and you were saying that you had, uh, you wanted to tell me the story about, um, Bigfoot. Yes. Oh <laughs> yes. my gosh. Oh yes. my gosh. Yes. Oh my uh, gosh. Uh, one of my favorite things. Okay. I had actually heard that story, but it, I felt like maybe our listeners would really enjoy that. Okay. That wow. It's a
1: good story. So there is a Bigfoot Mormon story and I only know about it because my dad is like super into Bigfoot. Our whole cabin is like Bigfoot paraphernalia. He watches the shows like
3: he and my son do calls in the mountains. Like it's a thing. Oh so is he God. very familiar with the Bigfoot sightings that happen bigfoot. in Oregon on like Cannon Beach and stuff like that?
1: Any documentary or show where they've talked about it, I guarantee you my father has watched not once, but probably twice. <laughs> so um, fanatic. yeah, we like, they have a resin cast Bigfoot that they put on our property at the cabin and they dress him up in costumes all summer oh my like, God. we are Bigfoot
2: people Bigfoot
1: is- yeah like he's a whole thing in our family so when my when like this story came into my dad's like realm it was like it's probably one of the few things about Mormonism that he has levity about so the story is that I can't remember his name, but he was a missionary for the church. I think it was after Joseph Smith had died because he was riding on horseback. It was like way back when. And um, he was riding his horse and all of a sudden alongside of him, this is all from my memory, so it could be a little wrong. But from what I remember, this nine foot tall being covered in hair approached him. And it didn't scare his horse or anything, but it, it, like, spoke to him and basically told him, like, that he was connected to Satan or the devil, that he'd been cursed, and um, basically asked this missionary, like, you you know, you want to fuck around? You want to come to my side? And the missionary <laughs> was like, no, no, I'm good. No. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> this is so as, it, wow. as it ended up, like the being, the person finally told him, like, I am Cain. And so in Mormonism, Bigfoots are believed to have been somehow connected to the posterity and lineage of Cain, who murdered his brother because he became in league with the deceiver. Mm-hmm. So more like in Mormonism, Bigfoot is real. And he is an agent of the deceiver.
0: Of the dark.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Damn. I know. And it's That's always so funny because anytime, like, we're, my dad's watching a show or, or we're listening to, like, a Bigfoot encounter, I'm always, it kind of <laughs> takes me back to, like, the Mormon Book of Mormon thing because, like, some of them are so demure and, like, innocent and seemingly docile. And then other ones seem really aggressive. And so it's wow. like, Hmm. like are they sentient are they like are they just kind of a unique genetic line that hasn't been manipulated as much like it's just kind of fun to like think about
3: like fuck around and find out <laughs> <laughs> so there's apparently a like very consistent bigfoot sightings in Oregon. And one of my girlfriends, and of course this is all from memory too, and she could probably tell the story better, but she was out on the beach and she had an experience with one. and she was so freaked out that she called me like she said that she believed that they were aliens like whenever they were walking and running that they glide like it's almost like they don't even yeah. like gallop or like touch the ground yep. or anything like that and That was like, he Name. just said he just appeared like it just was and it, they just moved so quickly and she said that she was out on the beach at night and it was a full moon and I think she was at Cannon Beach in Oregon and she just happened to be out there by herself and she or maybe she was with her boyfriend Mark. I can't. I can't recall. He, but he did verify it, and I don't know if it was just because he was like, "I saw it. I was there with her," or "I was there and she came running to me and um, mm. she was definitely freaked out." I can't remember which one it is. This was several years ago when she told me this, but um, she said that she saw something move out of the corner of her eye, and when she turned to look at it, she like made eye contact with this being that was like nine foot tall, covered mm-hmm. in hair, Sasquatch, l- long incredibly long limbs she said and that what? it like that when it turned and started moving towards her it was almost moving like,
0: like ice skaters mm-hmm.
3: like an, like an ice skater but like like gliding and incredibly fast that she said that she turned and ran and she felt like she was not going to make it up the hill mm-hmm. back to like where her camp was she was like you, in, an, in an rv or something like that you want
1: to get real conspiratorial this is just a meism. Because I like to do this sometimes. So there are conspiracy theories, right, about how humans used to be giants or there were giant
0: humans. Mm -hmm. Right. That's where I'm going with this.
1: Right? So, like, also in the Book of Mormon, just tying it back, like, the Nephites and the Lamanites were supposedly, like, these huge – like, they were not, like, six-foot-tall people. They were, like, eight, nine-foot-tall people. So if the Nephites and the Lamanites were these tall people, like – Okay, well mm-hmm. maybe were Adam and Eve this tall? Were they that big? Like were Cain and Abel that big? Like, is that that kind of genetic code untainted enough that like one of the things they maintained was their height? Like it's just kind of fun. And who to- is Goliath
4: affiliated with? The Nephilim. Well, I mean, I think yes, but he was he was but a, I mean, um, like in the in the Bible. I'm not yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He was a Philistine.
1: I think I think that even as a Philistine, he was connected to um, – I think I just re- listened to a podcast where they talked about how he had a history of, like, having been
3: not wholly human.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could believe
3: that. And so who were the Nephites and the – So the Nephites and the
1: Lamanites come from okay. Nephi, who was, like, the good son, and okay. Laman – so Nephi and Sam were the good guys and Laman and Lemuel were the bad guys. And so they, when that's what they called themselves, the Nephites were the pure fair-skinned and the Lamanites were the.
3: Okay. So these were the pe- peoples yeah. of the Americas. But so there's, there's a
1: story. <laughs> yeah. There's a story in America or in America. There's a story in the <laughs> about three of them mm-hmm. who decided to be lifelong missionaries and they will never die. And they roam the earth being missionaries and like sometimes and like certain Mormon people will say they've come in contact with them and they're this like this is the stuff
3: that nightmares are made out
1: of. They're <laughs> these very tall and like sometimes people will say like like they'll have a vision of a Mormon temple. Like I had such a spiritual experience and like inside the temple I saw the you know the angels and the centuries who were standing guard and that they're these giant beings. They're nine, ten feet tall and they're covered in armor and they have, you know so yes. maybe that's related I- to all of it.
3: Well, and this is making me think, just like you were talking about, like the Nephilim and um, like the Anunnaki, the, the Watchers, which were like mm-hmm. in the book of Enoch, how these were all very large star beings. And then the hybrid beings, which were the Sumerians, the Mesopotamian people, mm-hmm. um, which Abraham, his yep. original name was Abram. He was Mesopotamian. He came from the land of the Chaldees, which was, you know, into Jerusalem. And um, how they were like much smaller because they were the Lulu. They were mixed. Mm-hmm. That's uh, yeah. Lulu. I guess means slave. That's what they called themselves, like servants or slaves. Mixed, mixed ones, the Lulu, which was in the uh, the clay the clay tablets, is what they referred to as.
1: So yeah, all And none really of this is like what they teach you when you learn religion. They don't tell you about any of like these historical kind of archetypes and figures and histories they don't tell you anything about like the nicene creed and really how they determined what went in the bible like those should mm-hmm. all be foundational
0: to the human <laughs>
1: understanding at large because like yeah. we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousand years of
3: our history right. that like have somehow seemingly just been erased like, and how many thousands and thousands and thousands yes. of, of history are being held in the vatican vault <laughs> <laughs> I know Mormonism has a vault Catholics like the Catholic church has a
1: vault like all these motherfuckers be hiding info and you don't hide info <laughs> unless it's going to make you
4: look bad exactly unless it damages your opportunity to control right absolutely so, yeah it's so true my goodness
0: I really enjoyed listening to everything that you had to say and
4: mm-hmm. same it's great conversation
1: well, I love your guys's podcast and I look forward to every episode you guys release, so it's just it's nice to have the opportunity to talk to you guys, and hopefully that if someone who is searching for something that I have a breadcrumb for, that God can deliver it to them. Mm -hmm. Right. So good. I love visiting and talking and uh, people are always welcome to reach out to me. So just shoot me, but like I'm always happy to to meet new people and to visit and to share space in a hygienic way yes so you honor my hygiene and i'll honor yours and like (laughs) it's good baby let's
4: talk yes love that yeah so good awesome
0: yeah so we thank everybody for joining us and listening in on this episode as we continue on our multi-part series of the near (laughs) cult experience